Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I play with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Cara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome, everyone. Laura and Gabe here. It's August 31st, and you're listening to episode 11 of Under the Bleachers. This week, it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, she chose a major court victory for transgender activist Gavin Grimm. For our conversation of all things sports, we're talking about striking athletes. And for the intersection of sports and queer, we'll discuss a new academic study from an Australian university. After that, we're going to share our interview with Team DC Member Club, the Capital Area Rain Bowlers Association. But first, it's time for our Team DC update. The next meeting of the Sports Council will take place virtually over Zoom on September 21st. The Sports Council is made up of representatives from all of the Team DC member clubs, and we strongly encourage everyone to attend. If you are a member or organizer of a gay sports or recreation organization, and you're interested in joining the Sports Council as a member club of Team DC, you can learn more at teamdc.org and contact the chair of the Sports Council, Team DC Vice President Laura Freire, yes, that's me, at laura at teamdc.org. And as we've told you, the Team DC Challenge Cup is coming back October 17th. Registration begins September 21st, and teams will have opportunities to start earning points for the event as soon as registration opens. Get your team of five organized and be ready to register September 21st and start earning points to help win this year's Challenge Cup. Of course, Laura and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on your favorite podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And share us with a friend. Okay, let's get started. Here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. Okay, my topic in the world of all things queer this week is a new court ruling in favor of transgender activist Gavin Grimm. Gavin Grimm won a major victory for trans rights in the courts this week when a federal court of appeals affirmed a previous decision that he had been unconstitutionally discriminated against by the Gloucester County School Board when they required him to use a gender neutral bathroom or one which did not match his gender. The ruling followed a recent decision by the U.S. Supreme Court that found it is illegal to fire an employee for being LGBTQ+. Grimm has been waging his legal battle since 2015 when he was a sophomore in high school. Grimm's case also reached the Supreme Court in 2017, but was sent back for review by the lower court when President Trump changed the Department of Education's Title IX protections for trans students. Last year, U.S. District Court Judge Arenda L. Wright ordered the board to settle with Grimm. Instead, they appealed and ultimately lost that appeal this week. In the opinion, the court stated, quote, we are left without doubt that the board acted to protect cisgender boys from Gavin's mere presence, a special kind of discrimination against a child that he will no doubt carry with him for life. And in ruling in Grimm's favor, the court went on to offer a nod of praise for Gavin, stating, quote, the proudest moments of the federal judiciary are when we affirm the burgeoning values of our bright youth rather than preserve the prejudices of the past. So Gabe, do you have any uh, thoughts on the latest development in Gavin's case? So this is the case I've been kind of following for a couple of years since I first heard the story. And I'm really happy that the courts are finally siding with what should have happened in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a major victory, uh, but it's just, it's just something simple. People just want to use the bathroom. <laughs> I know, right? It's amazing that we got ourselves wrapped so far around an axle about people going to the bathroom. It is crazy. But yeah, no, I mean, 
Gavin spoke at the Smile Brunch two years ago, I think, and he yep. was just like a really impressive kid, you know, and I keep calling him a kid, even though I guess he's technically an adult now, but he's what, like 22 or something, but, <laughs> you know, he like started this as a 10th grader, and I just, I almost can't imagine like the kind of resolve and strength it takes for a 10th grade boy to not just stand up for himself to his peers, but then to challenge everybody who he's told to look up to as an authority figure, you know? And he really did it with such grace and such presence This for the last five years it's been now. And I really applaud him for that. Um, and I, of course, I'm glad the court got it right, but. Yeah, and it's just something that we as a society have to work through and go actually think about um and I, i'm trying to see like some places that are kind of changing their their views uh i was reminded um have you ever been to william mammoth the theater yes. downtown chinatown yeah okay so i think it was last year back when we can go to plays and stuff uh they actually changed their bathrooms to make them gender neutral and it was kind yeah. of this experiment right because you go into the bathroom and they're just cubicles right and so my thing always is every time i'm like always freaking out i'm like i walked in the bathroom and if there's no urinal, I'm like, am I in the right bathroom? Is this what's right. going on? Like, whatever. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting because they, they basically told everyone, they're like, the, the bathrooms are gender neutral. Uh, so go in and just use the bathroom. No one cares. And it was interesting to see that people didn't care. A lot of yeah. the older men were kind of like unaware. But I remember this one lady was like, just go to the bathroom. Who cares? And I was right. like, way to go, lady. I love you. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the interesting thing, right, is that... In public, we make the bathroom gender neutral to protect the people who um, might be non-binary or be getting harassed because maybe they don't appear to be the gender that they identify with so that people are attacking them, right? It's not as if, I mean, at the end of the day, I, you know, where people go to the bathroom is not a huge deal, but if everybody would just be respectful of each other, then we could have single gender bathrooms we want you oh, yeah. know I mean? like the reason we have gender neutral bathrooms is because that you know a woman walks into the woman's room and gets attacked because somebody thinks she quote looks like a man you know and it's just if everybody wasn't so fucking nasty all the time then you know but in any event i think gender neutral bathrooms are the way to go it's you know we all go to the bathroom i don't think it's that big of a deal like you're peeing next to strangers anyway what difference does it make what genitalia that stranger has and i think you hit the you know the nail on the head where you just said if just people were just respectful with each other right like how many times i i've gone to the anthem i've got a 9 30 club there's a line for the women's room and i'm in the men's room and we're like look there's three stalls that are open go in and pee and people yeah. go and you know what everyone is cool about it and fine Right. No one cares. That's right. Because you just need uh, to go to the bathroom. Well, and I do understand. So I understand from the perspective of men, if there are urinals that don't have like walls around them and they don't want a whole ton of people walking in and out, I, I can get that. Although, again, I'm not sure why it matters whether the people coming in are, you know, identify as male or female. Like strangers seeing your genitalia. And it like, does it matter what gender they are? If they're still strangers, I don't know. With all this, the whole thing's kind of wild, but I do think that like the wave of the future should be like, let's not have giant troughs where we all have to stand next to strangers peeing. Just put fucking barriers like between each of the places where people go to the bathroom and let everybody go in and use the bathroom. Like, why do we need giant open spaces for boys to pee next to each other to begin with? So fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, is it that hard to put up you know like dividers uh it's just weird but anyway uh all of that is so weird but you know you and i have talked before about how to some extent like all of this backlash against the transgender community is a sign that progress is being made because you know when the progress starts being made and people start becoming more visible and people become more aware there's often this backlash um, yeah. And it's, it sucks and it's not a positive thing, but to, the, to some extent we have to remember that what it means is that there is progress happening and that's what's causing some of this backlash. So that's a good thing and we just have to be firm in our resolve and, um, you know, fight against the backlash and just keep trying to move forward step by step. And if a 10th grade 
boy can do it, then we can do it too. And it's kind of a reminder that we could, you know, we can go forward, but there's also things that can happen and there's uh, consequences to our voting in our elections. Uh, if you look at, you know, it was going to go all the way to Supreme Court and then Trump comes in and changes the restrictions on Title IX, which sends the case back down. So this could have been ended, what, a couple years ago? Uh, so, yeah, just a friendly reminder to people to register and vote. Yeah, vote. Vote like Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life depends on it. Because it does. <laughs> it does. It does. Uh, yeah, no, I, and I appreciate, I know that the ACLU was involved in Gavin's case and, you know, the ACLU, if anybody's looking for some place to give some money is like a great place to do it because they do a lot of really great work protecting all of our legal rights, but also supporting people like Gavin who, you know, I don't think, you know, all due respect, Gavin, I can't imagine he would have on his own been able to make it through the last five years um, without having the support of the ACLU behind him. It's just, it's a really, it's a lot to ask a teenage boy that, to handle um, on his own, a federal court case. And, Can you imagine uh, yourself? What were you doing in high school? Were you going to Supreme Court when you were a I mean, I was junior? a real dork in high school and was pretty obsessed with the Supreme Court. So I think I would have <laughs> liked to, but I don't think I would have been able to do it on my own. No. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have geeked out about the opportunity. And I definitely was uh, waging a lot of fights against the man in high school. Um, so, you know, but would I have been able to make it as far as Gavin did without the support of something like the ACLU? Fuck no. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was a mess. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm obviously we're glad that this happened. You know, the interesting thing is this is in theory, I guess the board could appeal to the Supreme court again. So this might not be over, over, but for now there's a victory and we should celebrate that and continue to fight for um, the equality and respect and justice for our transgender brothers and sisters. Yep, and we all need to be kind of united in the whole fight and the whole uh, you know, conversation about it and just bring it up, talk with people and keep it out in the open, keep it fresh in people's minds. That way they know that stuff is still going on. It's 2020, but we still have a lot of struggles and a lot of hurdles that we need to go over. And as long as we keep talking about it and bringing it up, you know, it's 2020 and it kind of sucks that every week there's something new going on, something horrible in the world, but we can't forget that things like this, this still happen. That's right. Nobody has justice until everyone has justice. And speaking of what is our topic for the, uh, what is our sports topic for this week? All right. So for my sports topic, we're going to discuss striking athletes. For anybody that was watching, it was a pretty, pretty incredible moment in sports history. On Tuesday night, Doc Rivers, the head coach of the NBA's LA Clippers, was asked to comment on the shooting of Jacob Blake and the current state of racial affairs in the country. Blake, a black man, was shot by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin last Sunday as he tried to enter the driver's side door of his vehicle. Rivers responded with raw emotion, referencing the Republican National Convention unfolding concurrently with this new uproar over the Blake shooting. Rivers said, quote, all you hear is Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear. We're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. We're the ones that, that were denied to live in certain communities. We've been hung, we've been shot, and all you do is keep hearing about fear. The next day, athletes staged the first collective work stoppage for civil rights in United States sports history. Before Wednesday night's game five of their NBA playoff series with the Orlando Magic, the Milwaukee Bucks players staged a wildcat strike in protest of police violence. Their focus was acutely on the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, located about 40 miles south of their hometown arena. Other NBA teams effectively canceled all three of the night's planned playoff games as the strike spread through the sports world. Baseball, tennis, golf, and soccer players and leagues all joined the protest by sitting out games and matches or offering support to players who chose to strike. TNT host Kenny Smith, a former player himself, walked off the set mid-show in solidarity. 
The August 26th work stoppage occurred four years to the day that former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick first took a knee during the anthem to protest all forms of systemic racism. In the statement read by Bucks team members hours after their decision to strike was announced, they called upon citizens to vote in November. Before that, they want Wisconsin's state legislature to reconvene from its August recess and draw up new bills enhancing police accountability for incidences of brutality. They said, quote, when we take the court and represent Milwaukee and Wisconsin, we are expected to play at a high level, give maximum effort and hold each other accountable. We hold ourselves to that standard, and in this moment, we are demanding the same from our lawmakers and law enforcement. And of course, we should remember that the WNBA has been way ahead of all major sports leagues when it comes to protesting against systemic racism and trumpeting the cause of social justice. As part of their participation in the Wildcat strike, the Washington Mystics took the court at the WNBA bubble on Wednesday in t-shirts that spelled out the name of Jacob Blake and featured seven holes on the back to signify where Blake was shot seven times by Kenosha police. Gabe, uh, were you following along any of these developments? What was your reaction to the strike? I was following a couple from the NBA, also from the uh, Major League Baseball strikes that are going on. I think they're pretty powerful, and it's finally hitting people in you know, middle America and people who normally don't you know, see these protests and stuff that are going on in their cities. They're just sitting at home, and they're finally seeing the impact that is going on you know they're they're finally getting hit with the impact of this is a big issue that we need to tackle and it's not going away and it kind yeah. of you know we started off in the summer with george floyd in what may and it's still happening yeah no i mean there have been protests every day um and we don't see uh results and it is, you know, it's heartbreaking, but it is, it really moved me, all of these uh, players standing together in solidarity, solidarity and taking these actions because the frustration that people feel right now that they're not being heard, that the people in power are not responding to the calls for justice and for change, it's, you know, it's overwhelming. and. You know, I imagine, you know, these players, a lot of them have already spoken out on social media, have already spoken out in interviews, have already made, you know, tried to use their voice, and now they feel ignored, and so they're using the next um, piece of power that they have, um, and it's it's really moving to see it. And it's also, it's very interesting. I, I just, I wonder if this level of collective action might finally see some movement. I agree with you. I think that consciousness awareness is happening. Um, I just, you know, for me, it's like, it's starting to feel so demoralizing. I, I, I appreciate consciousness or, you know, awareness and all this, but it's some, what's it gonna take? to get some actual action out of lawmakers. I just don't know anymore. Yeah, did you see the uh, the protest from the, it was, I think it was two days ago. It was um, the Mets and the Marlins. Yeah. That was I, like, I mean, that was, that was a tough video to watch, but it was very, it was moving. Yeah, I mean, I watch Mets games and I. <sighs> oh, that's for, you're a Mets fan, I forgot. <laughs> But no, it's it, it's a lot. But you know, somebody else was shot last night at a protest. You know, a, a, another one, and that's following three people being shot two or three days ago. So at a protest, I mean, violence is rising. The president is on his way to Kenosha, allegedly to do good things. But I think we all know that the reality is is he's just there to stoke more violence because. The people in the White House right now think that violence helps them. I mean, they've made that plain and clear that from their perspective, more violence erupts at these protests, um, helps their cause and makes uh, protesters look bad. And it's, but, you know, we all know that it's, they are the ones fanning the flames. And it's, yeah. it's just so demoralizing. I don't know anymore even what to say 
about any of this. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm so proud of the Milwaukee Bucks and I'm proud of the Mets and I'm so proud of the Mystics, right? The Mystics are not here to play. They have been out front with this stuff for months now. They've been wearing Breonna Taylor's name on their shirts. They, you know, they have been out here calling for justice. And of course the WNBA doesn't get as much attention, but you know, they're doing everything they can to use their platform. And I'm so proud of all of these people. I just, at some point, if we don't start to see the needle move with lawmakers, I just don't know how much more of this I can take emotionally. Um, yeah, but you, you saw some of the players also uh, doing some other things. So there was all those players down in Atlanta who were wearing shirts that said vote warlock which were kelly Loeffler's uh opponent for senate and she's running for senate uh in illinois uh, i thought it was interesting but um people keep talking about sports and you know people should just shut up and dribble shut up and play but protests and sports have been going on for decades and for years i mean we've seen the you know mexico city olympics uh it was, it was john carlos and tommy smith who put up their you know their fists at the yeah. podium and then even recently we had what Serena Williams wearing a tutu yeah, <laughs> because she was being called out for wearing a cat suit at Wimbledon. Well, sure. Yeah. And I mean, Muhammad Ali, you know, refused, you know, I, so uh, people, but here's the thing. Athletes are just people like everyone else. And all of us have opinions and all of yeah. us have the right to voice our opinions. And we all have platforms and have the right to use them however we see fit. And that holds true for athletes the same as anyone else um so and i'm happy they're 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 using their platform they're reaching out right. millions and millions of people absolutely and this whole idea that because you're an athlete you shouldn't be allowed to speak your opinion or voice your opinion i mean you know our janitors not allowed to have opinions our carpenters not allowed to have opinions are i mean are only politicians and lawyers supposed to have opinions i don't you know i've never understood that attitude um you know if you don't want to hear what someone has to say on their platform you can always turn away and not pay attention right but if you value what lebron james does on the court and you want to watch him then he gets to speak to you, right? You can't have it both ways. I mean, you can turn it off if you don't want to hear his opinion, but then you don't get to watch him play basketball. I mean, that's, you know, that's your choice and that's, that's the thing. But what we hear is a bunch of people who want to be able to enjoy the labor that these men put in and these women put in, but want them to shut up and not, you know, be able to, to um, use their own voices and that is just ridiculous i mean these people are not your property and they're not show ponies that are like out here to like entertain you but not have hum a full you know humanity <laughs> so I, yeah i i don't you know the whole thing i will say this i was like really really had a very positive feeling about everything that happened i was really impressed i was proud of these people i was excited for it to be going on it, it, you know, I do still feel a little bit like beaten down by everything these days, but I'm always encouraged when I see people out there protesting peacefully and speaking their mind and making, just demanding that they be heard because it's all we can do, right? We, and, and eventually, I do believe that eventually enough people standing together on the side of justice and speaking up and demanding justice it will start to happen it's just unfortunately right now the people who are you know protesting do not have access to a lot of the levers of power and we just we have to vote we have to vote in local elections we have to remember how important all of this is and we need to continue to collectively organize and fight for change that's the thing. We got to vote. We got to keep our elected officials accountable of what's going on and make sure they're actually listening to the communities and listening to the issues that people have. Uh, I mean, these protests are, they're working. You, Fox News talks about it every day. And you know what? At any press is good press. So if they're yeah, talking about it. That's true. And I, I but I you know, just, they would never cover it. No, that's right. But we also, you know, protesters are putting their lives at risk, as we've seen. Um, and we all need to remember that every time you step out of your house and speak against power, 
you are you are making a risk and everyone please be careful and everyone please be aware and looking out for each other as we're doing this because I mean it's just been I, I hate to say it, but I think we've only seen the beginning of these people showing up at protests with guns and shooting people and the police are doing nothing to protect protesters. Yeah. And it's, it's horrifying. So I just, I, we have to remind everybody that yes, keep, keep going out there, but be aware of the risk you are taking and, you know, look out for each other. Yeah. Do the people that, that don't want to protest or they don't feel safe, you know, phone bank, Make a donation. Oh, yeah. There's something. so many things that you can do. Yeah. I mean, you can get still be involved. involved. Right. Get involved however you're comfortable. Um, but just, you know, always, I think, just be vigilant and be aware about taking care of each other as we do all of this because it's going to be a difficult, we have about 70 days until the election, and I think it's going to be rough. We all need to be taking care of each other. And, you know, honestly, when we win this election, I think we're in for a difficult couple of months. Um, I don't think this is gonna be the most peaceful transition of power this country has ever seen. So we've got a couple of tough months ahead of us and we all have to continue to support each other and look out for each other, that's all. And everybody, if you haven't uh, been supporting the Washington Mystics, look them up, get behind my girls and uh, <laughs> keep up the good you fight. the world champion Washington Mystics? That's right, everybody. <laughs> fighting the good fight and getting into good trouble as john lewis would say so what do we have on the intersection of sports and queer okay well for this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer we're going to discuss an academic study that was released by an australian university this week the study led by melbourne's monash university i don't know if i'm pronouncing that correctly but we'll go with it looked <laughs> you to work on your accent is it monash uh, I definitely can't do that. <laughs> uh, the study looked at the impact of LGBT pride-themed ice hockey games on athletes. The study surveyed players from eight teams in the semi-professional Australian Ice Hockey League and asked them about their use of and exposure to homophobic language. The study found that players that took part in LGBT-themed matches were around 20% less likely to use a homophobic slur over the previous two weeks compared to athletes who did not take part in the contest. Further, the athletes who took part in the theme games were 15% less likely to have heard one of their teammates use homophobic language in the previous two weeks. The study tells us that holding professional sports games with diversity themes such as LGBT rights can help change the discriminatory behavior of athletes. Themed matches and rounds of matches in sports leagues around issues such as racism, sexism, and homophobia have become increasingly popular in recent years, particularly in North America. And of course, Team DC has been running its program, the Pride Night Out series, for 15 years. Team DC partners with area sports teams, including the Nationals, the Capitals, the Wizards, the Mystics, the DC United, the Spirit, and Old Glory DC to put on Pride Night Out events at their games. These events are a lot of fun, but they are also hugely important to furthering Team DC's mission of making sports a more inclusive space. And this new study shows that these efforts work. Uh, so Gabe, did the results of the study surprise you at all? Uh, they didn't surprise me, but I'm kind of happy and I'm kind of glad that uh, we have actual data to support uh, these Pride Night Outs and you know the, just the impact of what these events and hosting these events have to fans and also the players. Yeah, right. Well, so first of all, this is another one of those like major does, right? Where you're like, <laughs> uh, the, like, obviously, but like, I, but I agree with you, you know, sometimes you just need an actual um, quantifiable, you know, data to show what results you're having. That having been said, can I just like, as an aside, first of all, I didn't know people played ice hockey in Australia. In Australia? <laughs> Second of all, what a random place to do this study. Like, Australian ice hockey but okay uh, <laughs> so yeah that that was sort of funny to me but you know I, I was not surprised I like you am glad to see um, that these results are out there I mean we've all along been I think assuming that these events could have these positive impacts and hoping that they would but it sure is great to see a little bit of um, proof that in fact you know what we're doing is working. 
Yeah, like I, so. I remember when? Uh, yeah, when Team DC when we hosted our Pride Night out with the Wizards, and then we had that dance party afterwards on the court. And just hearing some of the fans and hearing some of the workers were actually like surprised and happy, having a blast, and they got to see that shocker LGBTQ plus people are just normal people who uh, like basketball and like love dance basketball, <laughs> love to party, you know. But they also have kids, and we saw a lot of people go out and with their kids and stuff like that, and just show people that you know, hey, we're we're normal, you know, people that enjoy sports as well. Yeah, I think it's it's so many things. It's that is hugely important. It's also the players recognizing and realizing how many LGBTQ plus fans they have and how dedicated they are to like coming out to the games and supporting them. It's all of it is very important in growing inclusivity and also it's a hell of a good time. I mean, Night Out at the Nats is one of my favorite summer activities. It's just like, I love going to a baseball game on a nice summer night, but going with like 6,000 of your best gay friends is like the best way to do it ever. That's Uh, the only time I've been to a baseball game where the bar ran out of beer. Right. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That was actually hilarious. I'm like, uh, (laughs) more Bud Light. (laughs) You know, I was going to say, when you put a face, you know, to a, a name of, you know, I'm gay, lesbian, bi, trans, whatever, whoever you are in the alphabet soup of, uh, LGBTQ plus, um you're more you're, you know you're humanizing the person and you know when you to me when someone says something that's either homophobic or racist or something like that when you actually put you know a face to the name or something like that people have the tendency to, to think twice now because you're like yeah. oh i'm offending this person of or I, I really shouldn't say that and i think it's more of the you know it's the outreach and we need to get out there and yeah. that's the whole thing about you know living out and proud that's and right i mean exposing the thing people about- Right. The thing about racism and homophobia, it's like it's rooted in a lot of hate and it's a lot easier to hate a concept or, you know, a group than it is to like identify an actual human being and think, wait, I have hate for this person. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's a very different thing. I mean, there's a it's it's why all kinds of intersectionality is important. It's why diversity is important. It's why we need to have integrated schools and you know we need to make better efforts to make sure that we integrate our teaching force and you know everything like that so um it's it's hugely important uh anybody who's listening who's in dc and didn't know about the pride night out series go to teamdc.org and check it out unfortunately thanks to covid all of our calendar events are canceled, um, have been canceled for this year, but we've already started planning for next June for Pride Night Out at the Nationals. And hopefully we'll be back before that. Um, and that's the cool thing is that, all, you know, we're, we're lucky in DC that we have all the major sports and almost all of them have been very accepting, uh, accepting and very open to hosting a pride night out which is kind of awesome and we're very lucky to be living in a, in a region where almost all our teams say yes we'll do this for you i mean the nats yep. were what one of the oldest uh pride night out series for the mlb yep absolutely so happy finally uh the astros finally had their first pride night out back in yep. texas and it took forever but they finally <laughs> did it that's why I'm a well, Nats fan now. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, but you know what? Progress is progress. We have to keep dragging everybody along. One <laughs> Eventually, we'll, everybody will get there. We're looking at you, Washington football team. Are we, though? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, one They're welcome hope. under the tent as well. I, you know, we'll accept <laughs> them. When they finally get their act together, we'll accept them. So... <laughs> All right. Well, Gabe, as always, another great conversation. Happy to chat. That's this week's Under the Bleachers roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share our interview with Team DC Member Club, the Capital Area Rainbowlers Association. Uh, Welcome back. Um, Today on Under the Bleachers, we are joined by Steve Frabel of the Capital Area Rain Bowlers Association, known as CARA. Hi, Steve. Nice to talk to you. Hi. Nice talking to you, too. Um, to get us started, can you tell everybody a little bit about CARA, um, CARA's history, and what CARA does as an organization? 
Absolutely. Kara is, as you already mentioned, the Capital Area Rain Bowlers Association. We are representing the entire bowling community within the Metro DC area. Right now we have leagues, one league that bowls on Sundays in Washington DC, and then the rest of the leagues are out in Virginia. And the organization tries to get all of the leagues to compete together and to try to organize events that we can all participate in and have a good time at. Because bowling is about being social, it's not really about being competitive, but anytime you keep score with any any sport, you're gonna end up being competitive. Yeah, for sure. And tell that to the guys who bowl on TV. Um, so <laughs> I'm not familiar, yeah, I'm not familiar with bowling leagues. So can you explain for people like me, how, you know, how the games work or how the teams compete against each other? Yeah, that there's, couple of different ways that that we compete in in this area we have two different formats one is a doubles so it's only two people per team and you bowl three games a night and each game is 10 frames and your scores at the end of the evening are compared against the team that you're bowling against and you would you declare winners or you declare losers that kind of deal um, and then there's also three person leagues and four person leagues and the leagues can vary anywhere between 12, 13 weeks and all the way up to 32 weeks. The standard is 32 weeks. So most of the time people are a little afraid of that. That's a big time commitment. So we've got the other formats that are a little bit shorter in the time commitment side. Got it. And so if you're bowling doubles, for example, um, and you bowl, your team bowls against another team and you keep score, then I, then the next week you bowl against a different team in the same league. Is that how it works? Yeah, you rotate through all of the teams. Um, you bowl a different different team each week. And then periodically there'll be a, uh, a position round where first place team bowls a second place team and third place bowls fourth place and so on throughout the whole league. Gotcha. So on any given night, if my team is bowling against Gabe's team and we're each two players, then on the other lanes of the bowling alley, I can expect to see teams from the other teams from the league represented bowling at the same time. Is that right? Yeah. The whole league bowls on whatever particular night that league is bowling on with very few exceptions. Obviously, you know, if, teams have an emergency that they can't come and bowl on that night. But 99% of the time, the whole league is there bowling at the same time. Okay. That sounds fun. Um, I appreciate that as somebody who's just simply not familiar with bowling, how bowling leagues work. I really was uh, curious about that. And if I'm a new bowler and I wanted to come out and join Kara, would I need to bring my own partner or is it possible to show up and get matched up with somebody on a team? We, we have open slots available uh, on uh, every league so that a walk-up person can, can come and join. Um, we just ask that if you do try to do something like that, that you acknowledge that it is a commitment of time and you don't just show up one week and join a team and then bail the next week because it's a team sport. The, everything about bowling is, is around the team. You know, there's a lot of fun. It's one of the few sports that you can drink, uh, have beers and cocktails because all of our bowling alleys in the area have beer and cocktail. So, you know, it's one of the few sports that you can have fun, hang out with people and get a light buzz if you want. That's always fun and a selling point. Uh, which lanes in the area do y'all bowl at? One, the, the DC League bowls uh, on Bowling Air Force Base. So that one's a little bit more tricky to get into because you have to get permission from the Air Force military um, to get on the base. Uh, otherwise, we've got a Sunday league that bowls at Bowl America Shirley, which is 395 and Edsel Road. It's uh, the big sign that's over the hill. And then we have another league that bowls on Wednesday nights at Bolero Annandale, which is in Annandale, Virginia. And then a Another league on Tuesday night that bowls at Bowl, Bowl America Falls Church in on like 140 Maple Street. So if somebody new wanted to come out and join Kara, do you have different leagues for different skill levels? 
the, there's a wide variety of skills in every one of the leagues. So we've got people with a 100 average, um, all the way up to people that have like a 215, 220 average. So really, every league has got a, a wide spectrum of bowlers in it, which makes it nice because you can watch um, people that are at a different skill level than you are and, you know, pick up pointers and stuff like that. And you can obviously approach them and, and ask them, hey, I like the way you throw that ball is can you show me how to do that? Or can you tell me how to do that? If you want to improve, there are plenty of people that have been bowling for years and years and years, and they're just happy where they are. They just like coming out and being social and they're not terribly worried at all about their scores or their averages. Okay. Do you ever um, host any kind of like learn to bowl night or basic skills or anything sort of formal where people can come and learn how to be a better bowler? Yes, we do. We have two events um, a year, one in the summer and one in the winter over like the Christmas, New Year's break, where we invite the community to come in and have a good time, socialize and um, pick up pointers on bowling if you want to get information about the leagues that are signing people up and you can ha have fun that way. We also have a skill enhancement session that's generally once or twice a year, depending on depending on the level of interest that we have. Uh, it's normally for our regular bowlers, but we do put it out um, and advertise on the website and on Team DC or through Team DC to drive attendance and, and get more people to attend. That's cool. Kind of a way to hone up your skill sets. Yeah, it, it, it makes it a lot more fun. Um, you can find out if, if you want to do anything. You can get some some some, some tips and pointers. You know, some people don't want to put their feet in the shoes at the bowling alleys and we've got a, uh, a nice relationship with one of the professional bowling shops in the area and they do a great discount for Terra bowlers so that they can buy their own equipment so for generally around a hundred dollars you can get everything you need to bowl on a weekly basis that's cool what's usually the makeup of any given league night it's generally um in the 70, 70%, 75% male and, you know, 25, 30% female. That's, that's the general mix that, that we see. It, it may, some leagues spike as high as 80%, but there's almost always women on every league. Um, so there, there's a good mix of, of people. Do y'all do any tournaments or anything in the area or across the country? Inco <laughs> has um, annually 55 to 60 tournaments that happen pretty much on a ho every holiday weekend across the United States and then some various sprinklings in between. So like Martin Luther King weekend, there's four tournaments throughout the country. So, you know, you pick where you want to travel to, you go to the city, you've got friends there, uh, you go hang out, you bowl in a bowling tournament. It's uh, generally about nine games that you bowl uh, over Saturday and Sunday. And then you go to an awards banquet, you hang out, have fun, win some money or not, uh, but at least you're having fun. So yes, there's there's plenty of tournaments. Uh, we have one here in DC that's the uh, Capital Halloween Invitational Tournament. It's the CHIT Tournament. And um, I've run that tournament five, six times, something like that since uh, 2009. And um, we're gearing up to host the International Gay Bowling Organization in um November 2021 or November 2022, we're in the midst of possibly moving it a year um, because of, you know, the COVID 2020 debacle. Um, I have a couple of bowling questions. First, my first question is, is a heavy ball better than a light ball? That's kind of a loaded question. The, the weight of the ball... Um, I started with a 16 pound ball because I could lift it. It was fine for me. Um, you want a bowling ball that, that you're comfortable swinging. Um, it doesn't pull you off balance when you're, you're going through the, the bowling steps and the full swing of the ball. And it really depends on the style of bowling that you want. So generally with a heavier ball, it's not going to move as much on the lanes and a lighter ball will get more revolutions 
So when you release the ball, it gets a spin on it. And it, with a lighter ball, it will spin a little bit more. So when you see people that are doing the two-handed bowling, they're putting a lot of revs on the ball, but their ball doesn't weigh a whole lot. They're not throwing a 16-pound ball uh, with two hands with that many revolutions. They're probably throwing like a 12 or a 10-pound ball. Gotcha. Okay, my next question um, about bowling. Is there a handicap in bowling or if I am just really bad um, as compared to the guy I'm playing against, am I just screwed? <laughs> yes, there, there definitely is a handicap. It's generally based off of around a, a, a ceiling of 225. And then the handicap is 90% of the difference. So if you're a 100 average bowler, you take 90% of the difference between 225 and 100, which is 125. You take 90% of that. I don't have that number at my fingertips. Um, and that is your bonus pins that you get added to your score when you compete against another person. Okay. All right. So I might have a, I might have a chance, probably not, but you get the benefit of your handicap even at a tournament. Oh yes. Yes. That's, that's how we can have, um, as many people attend and it, it's just more welcoming that way. There are, there are select few that are scratch tournaments. So there is no handicap with them. Uh, you're not going to see anybody really with a, a one, uh, below probably a 160 average entering that. Gotcha. Okay. So my last bowling question, what is a Turkey and why is it called that? Uh, a, a Turkey is three strikes in a row. Uh, and I, unfortunately, I do not know the reason why it is actually called a turkey. Now, if you would have asked me about a Brooklyn, I can tell you what a Brooklyn is, but I, I, I don't know the reason behind what, it, what, it, why it's called a turkey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, someday I would like to know why it's called a turkey, but if you want to tell me what a Brooklyn is, I'm happy to hear that too. So uh, a Brooklyn is when you get a strike on your offhand side. So I'm a right-handed bowler. My bowling ball should almost always hit the center pin slightly to the right of it. Um, a Brooklyn is when it hits on the left-hand side and you still end up with a strike. So, and the reason why it was called a Brooklyn is because in the early 1900s in Manhattan, they were the biggest bowling leagues around at the time. And it was bad if you weren't in Manhattan. So they called it a Brooklyn because it was a bad throw. I, I get that. I get that reference. They could have just as easily called it a Queens, but Brooklyn sounds probably cooler. When I um, was in college in upstate Western New York, um, we used to visit Buffalo a lot. And in Buffalo, if you played pool and like, Either you did some kind of like dirty kind of play or something that they didn't like. They would sing a little song. I want to want to go to Tonawanda because apparently Tonawanda is the Brooklyn of Buffalo. I don't know, but. <laughs> <laughs> so from Team DC's perspective, we focus on LGBTQ inclusivity in sports. And um, I wanted to ask you, about inclusivity and you know why that's important to you or why that's important to Kara. As it relates to bowling in general, um, we all have to do better um, to include Igbo, and Igbo has recognized that, and they're um, working on diversity policies to make sure that anybody who who isn't an LB, L, LG or B. Is, in, is included, they're welcome. They're, there's nothing that's going to prevent them or make them feel uncomfortable when they show up to an event. And that's what we want to get to uh, across the board. Uh, most of the time in the leagues themselves that I've been a part of, it's never been a problem in regards to um, a person attending. It, it makes no difference. Can you, can you lift a bowling ball? Can you throw it down the lane? Are you having a good time? Um, that's what we want for everybody that shows up at, at a bowling alley and and looks at going to a league. Um, unfortunately, we have, because the centers are normally mixed-used, we have had a couple of issues, but it wasn't from 
the Kara bowlers, it was from the straight bowlers over on the other side of the house that may have made a comment or two. But we we nipped that in the bud um, by going to the center manager, letting them know that this is unacceptable. And they've always had our backs with regards to any situation like that. Great. Um, and is it, um, do, for you personally, is it important for you that CARA, an organization like CARA exists so that you, um, can participate in an LGBT focused league? For me personally, yes, absolutely. Uh, CARA is, was the reason why I was able to make a break away from only going out to bars to meet people. That's why I started bowling in 1999. It was, it was, I needed a different venue besides going to any of the local gay bars. And that's probably the same story with a good 80, 90% of any of the bowlers that you would talk to that's on a league or attending a tournament. They, they do it for the social aspect and to not have to go to a bar. And so having an LGBTQ plus, um, organization is definitely needed and it makes things easier to to be able to find a a venue where you can you can just be your true authentic self um well steve i want to thank you for joining us this has been very fun um i hope that we'll get to do it again before we hang up on you I wanted to give you a chance to plug your um, social media accounts and your website where people can go find information about you. I know that we have a Facebook page. You can certainly hit up, hit us up on Facebook. Look, look for Kara Rain Bowler Association uh, or Capital Rain Bowlers Association. Sorry. And um, yeah, that's probably the best place to, to, to hit us up right now. Um, uh, the website is www.carabowling.org. All right. Well, thanks again. It's been a pleasure, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com, and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.